Welcome to In a Perfect Policy, hosted by the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Catalysts for Science Policy. My name is Chris Unterberger, current co-president of CASP. At CASP, we work to advocate for science-based and science-backed policy, engage lawmakers in the policymaking process, and promote science outreach within the community. CASP is a chapter of the National Science Policy Network, which is a quickly growing organization whose aim is to advocate for science policy at the national level and to empower early career scientists in the political community. This episode is a part of a series that highlights the policy memos submitted by CASP members to the policy memo writing competition held by the Journal of Science Policy and Governance in collaboration with NSPN. The theme of this year's competition was intersectional science policy issues that directly affect marginalized scientists and communities. Make sure to check out In a Perfect Policy's previous episode in the series that highlighted the memo submitted for the competition that focused on paid sick leave in Wisconsin. In today's episode, we'll be talking with the authors of a policy memo written by four members of CASP that investigates the unintended consequences of expanding sustainable transportation options in the Madison, Wisconsin area. This phenomenon can be called green gentrification, and CASP members Julie Davis, Brittany Bauer, Sarah Alexander, and Ben Bachman detail how building accessible bike paths throughout the Madison area can lead to the displacement of vulnerable communities through increased property values. Madison is famously known as a bike-friendly community, but how can expanding the use of bikes in the area disrupt the area's marginalized communities? I sat down with some of the authors of the memo to discuss the problem in more detail and highlight ways to mitigate downstream effects of creating sustainable infrastructure. So I am here with Brittany Bauer and Julie Davis, two authors on the policy memo submitted for the JSPG competition entitled Policy Options to Mitigate the Impacts of Green Gentrification When Constructing New Bike Paths in the Madison Area. So let's just start out. I'm going to ask you guys, what inspired you to choose this topic? So overall, very interested in climate change and how we can help out. But, you know, it's this kind of huge sprawling problem that seems way too big for any one individual. So we were looking for ways that we could, you know, kind of pare down the problem. How can, you know, we as a small group start to address this? And in doing so, um, we were looking at what individual cities were doing. And we saw lots of cool, like, green infrastructure projects to adapt to climate change or increase sustainability. But... When we were researching this, we found that a lot of these projects have social implications that didn't really turn up until later. Um, and kind of like when any city does an improving project, um, you can have this chance for gentrification. And that's no different for these green sustainable projects. So we wanted to look into our own backyard and see where Madison might be susceptible to this same problem. And given that climate change already affects some of the most vulnerable populations. Uh, the fact that our attempts to address it can also cause problems for vulnerable populations makes our solutions not really a solution at all. So we really wanted to tackle this problem from both the climate change standpoint and the equity standpoint. Bike paths, they're obviously a big part of Madison culture. I know I ride my bike and I don't know if either of you do, but definitely a solid topic to choose for the city itself. Uh, Brittany, do you have anything to add? 
a lot of cities don't really have much public facing acknowledgement, including Madison, um, that you know these improvements, these bike paths or green spaces can cause can cause displacement, um, and they don't really incorporate them into their development plans. So it's definitely something that we are interested in bringing more awareness to as well. For sure, and on the topic of coming from an, an inequity side, uh, Madison is a pretty liberal place in the first place. So any way that we can advance the way we see equitably changing the city for the better is always appreciated. For sure, good inspiration for the topic, but when you first start digging down into it, what conflicts or what issues did you originally find? How did you address them with this policy memo? So I would say it was slightly difficult to first figure out where uh, this was going to be the biggest issue. Um, and it turns out that Madison, being the progressive city that you just mentioned, has this pretty great um, equitable, equitable development report in which they kind of map out where are the like vulnerable sections of the city. Um, and that was a super useful ground to start from. And then we sort of like cross-correlated that with where some of the new up-and-coming bike projects are and found where there was overlap between vulnerable community and new infrastructure. Um, and in this process, we found that uh, while Madison has like this platinum rating from the American League for Bicyclists, uh, it's not equitably distributed uh, as we're seeing with these new infrastructure projects trying to address some of that inequity. The fact that the city is on an isthmus uh, historically fostered a bikeable culture downtown. And I think we see that a lot. Like I primarily live downtown um, and most of my life is between my apartments and the university campus. So it's all in a very like heavily bike infrastructured area. But as you try to move outwards, uh, the development changes, it becomes more suburban sprawl, wide roads, high speeds, and it gets much less pleasant to ride your bike until you're way out on the fringes of the city where it starts to pivot back towards more bikeable infrastructure. And the kind of major conflict is getting that bike infrastructure into these places in that kind of corridor where we're lacking bike infrastructure. It also overlaps with a significant amount of Madison's affordable housing. And so I think that's the, the major conflict. We want to keep this affordable housing. We don't have you know, a high vacancy rate in the city. So housing is always a crunch. But as we try to improve it, we might make the lack of affordable housing problem worse. And so I think that's kind of the central conflict here. We have examples of similar things also happening um, when they developed trails in Chicago. Um, the 606 is kind of an infamous example where they built out this really nice um, multi-use um, trail um, and green space. And then it just led to a lot of displacement and property values going up and affordable housing vanishing. So um, this is something that can and does very well happen in Madison as well. So it's uh, definitely something that um, when developing bike paths in Madison, we should certainly take a look at. Yeah, for sure that Chicago, it's always good to look at what works in other cities, uh, but Chicago is like 10 times 
bigger than Madison by population. Is there any issues with scaling that down? I know it's always there's typically issues with scaling up, but is there any issues with scaling down that you either foresaw and addressed or haven't thought about and should whoever implements such a policy on the bike paths in Madison should think about? I have seen examples of for other cities. I'm not sure um, what the population size is for each and every single city, um, but there has been, um, you know, green gentrification during the development process um, in smaller cities in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I know Unity Park has done a lot to um, make sure that they are considering social implications while developing their park. But a lot of them are in much larger cities like um, the 11th Street Bridge in Washington, D.C., or in development projects going on um, in San Francisco. I would also say Madison is somewhat unique in that we have this constricted geography between the lakes. Uh, so our density is high and constricted, whereas like in Chicago, you have this huge sprawl and you have a lot of different kinds of housing stock. Whereas in Madison, you know, there's not enough single family homes to go around and they're frantically building these apartment complexes at breakneck speed, but there's still this low vacancy rate. So I think you can apply it just based on a more of a density and constriction argument rather than a population argument. Yeah, for sure. But it's, it's good you think about how uh, different cities differ. And obviously, I mean, Wisconsin's different than Illinois and North Carolina. So you always got to keep those things into consideration when you're implementing policy, especially at the local level. If Madison decides to um, implement any types of new bike paths and they think about uh, equitably doing so, it's going to be a case-by-case basis. And I think Madison's um, pretty well prepared to do something of that nature. Um, so speaking of equity, the one of the main tenets of this JSPG competition was looking at policy issues that intersect with diversity, equity, inclusion issues. So how does this topic specifically, and you've alluded to it a little bit earlier, but more specifically, how does this topic of um, these bike paths and the green gentrification at large intersect with DEI issues? I think we have a general understanding of gentrification as an issue that affects low-income areas and that low-income populations overlap heavily with racial minority populations. And so by any anything that affects affordable housing disproportionately affects minority populations. Uh, so that automatically made this kind of a, an equity concern for us. I keep bringing it back up, back to Madison being pretty progressive in that sense, but it's good to identify issues that they're not necessarily thinking of city council, for example, just maybe they're not thinking of these different angles of implementing things. Obviously, there's issues with um, even the homeless shelters on the east side of Madison. So yeah, there's obviously been a focus on increasing homeless services throughout the city and throughout the Dane County for that matter. But yeah, sometimes it's overlooked for easy examples such as bike paths. That being said, Madison is typically a pretty progressive locality when it comes to implementing policy. So why hasn't this issue been addressed previously? Or if people have tried to address it in the Common Council, for example, why have they failed in implementing a policy of this nature? Um, I think like 
just in general, when we talk about like implementing bike paths and you know, just green spaces in general, it, se it seems on the surface that the positives kind of are pretty obvious. So obviously it's important for climate change. Um, also having bike paths is important for community health. So I think that people don't really consider that there might be a downside when there's so many like tremendous positive reasons to implement them in the first place. Um, so that people just wouldn't think that it could actually cause displacement and gentrification, do some social harm as well. Um, at least that's kind of what I've gathered. Um, but as I've said, more cities are implementing these policies or starting to think about it. Um, and I think that Madison um, should get on board with kind of thinking about it as well. I, and I applaud you for thinking of this specific example of how we could potentially look over an equity issue such as uh, implementation of, of green projects. It's hard to look at this angle. So kudos to y'all for finding that angle and addressing it in this policy memo. Speaking of which, going back to the policy memo, what were the options that you proposed? Um, which one did you recommend? And what were some potential alternatives that you considered but didn't include here? Um, so the solutions that we proposed kind of both tackle like a similar thing. So um, one of the things that I read about was that you can kind of build affordable housing within the vicinity of a green infrastructure project, including bike paths. And so what that will do is kind of serve as a buffer against displacement if it's, you know, just, it's right there. Um, so you can't really have displacement if you're funding affordable housing in the area that's at risk. Um, so there's two ways you could go about doing that. Um, one way is through tax increment financing, um, which is, used to kind of, so when you have a redevelopment project, the property taxes in the area will increase. Um, so this is a way to divert the tax, future tax revenue that you would get from the redevelopment project to fund the project itself. Um, but it's also been used to fund affordable housing. Um, and Madison and the state of Wisconsin also have policies in place that ensure and guarantee that some of the tax increment financing would be used to fund affordable housing. Um, so what we, what we suggested was that we could use um, that TIF revenue, that tax increment financing revenue to um, fund projects in the vicinity of the bike path. Um, similarly, we also suggested that uh, Madison can give uh, money to the community land trust, the Madison Area Community Lands Trust, um, to kind of target areas um, in the vicinity of the bike pass. So the community land trust essentially buys land and takes it off the market so that they can build houses on it and sell it at below market levels. And so that's another way if we took land off the market near bike paths that are development projects, and that can also protect the area against gentrification as well. We considered some alternatives such as, well, some, some of the alternatives are not legal in Wisconsin, so rent control is illegal in Wisconsin, and that's a popular approach to prevent against gentrification, um, but it's sort of a non-starter. 
that those were the two, the TIF and the community land trust that we considered. The non-starter of rent control, there, there is the option of going to the state government and, you know, turning tides there. Why did you decide to address the city of Madison and not higher up? Uh, Madison has a lot of resources in place and already has a lot laid a lot of the groundwork to fund affordable housing. There's actually a lot of affordable housing projects going on in Madison right now. Um, for example, Madison has used tax increment financing to fund affordable housing. And again, there's Madison specific policies that would ensure that some of the funding would go to um, fund affordable housing uh, from TIF. And Madison already has the community land trust. Um, so like most of it is already there. It's just getting them to specifically target these areas that are at risk for gentrifying near bike redevelopment projects. Community land trusts do have one slight downside. Uh, and I don't know how much this applies to the Madison one specifically, but it has been found that uh, nationally there's a tax loophole for community land trusts. Investors looking to turn a quick profit are using this loophole uh, in the community land trust to uh, buy land in what is supposed to be a community building altruistic way, but instead they're uh, gaining on it by manipulating the tax situation around these community land trusts. So I suppose that is one uh, additional factor to consider when you're looking at these gentrification mitigation uh, like strategies. Yeah, it's not invaluable. And that's important stuff to know for whomever is making the decisions with uh, these policy memos and these policies that would be potentially implemented based mm -hmm. on these memos. Mm -hmm. That leads into my next question in general, not just community land trusts. What are arguments for and against pros and cons of the policies, well, policy that you recommended first and then any of the other alternatives, why you went with that one specifically? There's some specific downsides to each one. So for uh, like the tax increment financing, for example, um, how much revenue you get in the future is kind of dependent on the market and sometimes it doesn't always work. So this has caused problems during the recession as well when tax agreement financing is used and then, you know, the 2008 recession hit and that, you know, kind of causes a lot of problems. And then so for community land trusts as well, they also kind of require a lot of external funding in order to be able to continue to do the work that they do. Kind of when you're thinking about solutions, these are just also things to keep in mind, um, how much you know, the current economy can dictate kind of which solution you're going for as well. Is there anything that stuck out to you as to this is the obvious choice with this policy option? The TIFs compared to land trusts compared to anything else that you disregarded? Um, I think the main thing is that these are both very useful. So we actually kind of suggested that we do a combination of both tax agreement financing and the community land trust, just depending on, because there's other policies where TIF can't always be used. Um, so tax agreement financing in Madison can only be used if it's necessary for the project to move forward. Um, and so in those situations, you might want to try to use community land trusts or um, so kind of like a hybrid approach 
between those two options. And I guess the thing that kind of sticks out the most is that, you know, Madison is using these things in other situations. So um, it's just a really easy way to kind of put their focus more on, you know, the, these areas that are in the vicinity of bike paths that are being developed. Yeah, don't want to reinvent the wheel, the bike wheel as a bad, as a good joke. Good joke. That's a good joke. <laughs> Last question, to bring it back to the DEI efforts, one of the main themes of the competition for the Journal of Science Policy and Governance Policy Memo Competition, um, how does this policy advance DEI efforts? And how did you really, besides uh, preventing the gentrification side of it, are there any other ways that this policy specifically advances DEI efforts? I would say that increasing accessibility to this kind of infrastructure was also uh, an equity point, given that Madison, while being very progressive, is also highly compartmentalized and segregated racially. Having access to bike infrastructure and the community health benefits that go along with it can go a long way to addressing some of these larger inequities in public health outcomes and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. Any any opportunities to make Madison as much as an equitable community as possible, more than it already is, is uh, definitely appreciated and hoped for. Thanks for listening to In a Perfect Policy by UW-Madison's Catalyst for Science Policy. For more episodes and resources regarding today's episode, please check out our website at casp.wisc.edu. That's C-A-S-P And don't be afraid to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your episodes. This episode was produced by Maya Gumnit and myself, Chris Unterberger. Theme music for In a Perfect Policy was created by John Leja. I would again like to thank Brittany Bauer and Julie Davis for taking the time to discuss their memo with me. And one last thank you to you for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.